Alrighty, and welcome back to Cibolo Creek Conversations. My name is Wyatt Marchant, and I'm here with Mr. Paul Wilson. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Very good. Very good. What have you been up to? I've been uh, doing a lot of uh, developing content here in the last couple of weeks. I'm teaching a new class on how to understand what you read in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've taught a course like that before, but I'm I'm developing all new material for it. And uh, so I don't typically have that class to prepare for in light of the other things that I am preparing for. So my schedule's been a little occupied with trying to get all the other things done as well as develop this new material. Yeah, I mean, even preparing for a sermon each week plus a class material is a lot. Yeah, but I'm actually absolutely loving teaching the class. It's one of my favorite topics, especially with a group of people like we have. We have like 30 people um, in the class and they're they're all basically there and we had a conversation at the top of the class to talk about why did you come to the class and they're all just good-hearted people who say I I want to understand more about what I read in my Bible yeah and I like that audience an audience that's kind of new and curious and uh, sincere in their pursuit of the study of the scriptures Rather than, you know, and this isn't a critique, but in a seasoned group of people who've been studying and know how to study and are looking for something uh, different, um, I, I can enjoy that too. But I really love kind of fresh hearts and minds who are kind of new to a study of the scriptures and don't really know the correct way to do it. They have a way, but it's not necessarily the correct way. And uh, I kind of like turning the lights on and opening the horizons of how they've always thought you go about studying the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, like I know, uh, Carlos and Clarita, they're in it and like, they've been Christians for a long time and super strong in their faith. But I know even like even myself, I, there's few people who would not benefit from going to a class like that. Even if it's just to re <laughs> revamp on whatever, it, whatever right. you already knew, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and one of the things that's that I brought up in the first week that's important to me is there's kind of a spectrum of uh, like a, the goal that you have for a study of the scriptures. And there's on one end of the spectrum, there's like a devotional pursuit. You just want spend a few minutes in the morning reading the scriptures and as we say, get something out of it that'll kind of serve you for the day. And and that's good, and there's a place for that. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have sort of like your scholastic, academic, educational pursuit of studying the scriptures where you want to really dig down deep. And on that end, it's like I want to have an exhaustive comprehension of the scriptures or I want to I want to write a commentary on, you know, the book of first Thessalonians or something that's the far end and then you have everything in between and what I'm trying to help them understand is that whether you're looking for the devotional inspiration for the day or you're doing a you know a deep dive down into uh, the scriptures there are certain rules or guidelines about how to properly understand the scripture and they're the same on both ends of the spectrum and so I'm just trying to introduce them to 
the importance of context. When you read a passage of Scripture, you can't just yank the verse out and make it say what you want it to say. It You it, can't do that? It, <laughs> no, you can't. Oh, not shucks. In book. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the, the paragraph and the chapter and the book in which that verse occurs informs its true meaning. So I'm trying to help them understand how to navigate some of that. And then last night we got to talking about uh, how do you create a principle? How do you identify a principle from a passage that you can then use by way of interpretation and application? And I love that topic, and that's a lot of fun. And, and you could tell by the, the response that uh, last night was they didn't know that. They, they didn't know how to do that. They what's, even, what's an example of that? Well, uh, so you study the passage and you find out, you know, what did it mean to the original readers? Okay. And then basically you ask yourself the question, what do I share in common with those original readers? Because it wasn't written to me. It was written sure. to Christians in the first century in the city of Thessalonica. Well, it was written to them. So what did it mean to them historically, culturally? And then I asked, basically, it was trying to teach them how, how do you identify what we share in common with them, though we live in the 21st century. Our circumstances or situations might be slightly different, but the truth is a timeless truth. And I'm trying to help them understand how do I do, how do I identify what that timeless truth is? Yeah. And then you walk away from... Basically, the, the instruction to first century Christians, they were to believe this or they were to do this. So I, as a Christ follower in the 21st century, I am to believe this or I am to do this. Yeah. And so you get a principle. And, you know, the two rules of identifying a principle is what would be true throughout all periods of time and what would be true throughout all, all places on the earth. And so a principle means the same to me as an American. A, a principle from Scripture means the same to me as an American as it means to somebody who lives in Asia, as it means to somebody who lives in Africa, as it means to somebody who lives in Europe. And so I was trying to explain that to them. Yeah. And I could tell by the level of interest that they were like, I, I never knew this, and this is mm. helpful. Uh, one of the challenges of it, and I explained to them, is it could really mess with your 15-minute devotional pursuit. Yeah. Because it's not necessarily something you can just arrive at in a short little hit in the morning. Yeah. And so we were talking about all Especially that. if you're new to it and you're not already kind yeah, of looking at things in exactly. that way. And, you know, naturally the questions came up, well, how do I understand the historical context or how do I understand the the social background and I just keep telling them you have to come to week number four because we'll be talking about some of the resources and tools nice. that are available. And so I'm stringing them along, you know, of course. so they come have all to. four weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I love developing material like that. Uh, however, it's just an additional workload in an already busy week. So sure. That's kind of what I've been doing. Very good. Yeah. Well, I must say, that all sounds more interesting than scheduling social media posts. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You're doing something really valuable, and you do a really good job at it. I do an okay job. As far as social media manager goes, I ain't the best. I'm not going to lie to you. 
Yeah, but you're doing a great the job on yeah. our behalf, and I get to see some of it. I, I'm a little, uh, I'm avoiding social media very intentionally these days for different reasons, but um, I, I still see the work you're doing, and, and I appreciate it because I think it's given our church some visibility and helping communicate an impression of who we are and how we are and that's always helpful, particularly for people who are searching for church to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So uh, moving on to today's topic. Yes. This is a big topic, and there's a lot that can be talked about here. So we're probably just going to have to, well, who knows where we're going to go, but <laughs> um, hit maybe some higher levels of that. Also, before we get started, I'm going to plug the power into these cameras. I'm actually going to cut this part out. You're going to edit this part? Yeah, I'll edit this part. Uh, oh, we'll see. It's hard not to. It, it's really a lot. It's a lot easier now because I edit using this tool that shows me the transcription, and so it's a lot easier to notice. Oh shucks! All right. Okay. Now moving on to today's topic, um, we're going to talk about angels and demons. All right. That's a easy one that we can say that we know a whole bunch about decisively. An easy one. Um, so we're going to split this up, and I know that we can kind of talk about both of them in tandem, but let's maybe just, for the best that we can, keep them separated. Okay. Um, mainly so I can cut it into two episodes. But uh, let's start with angels. So I guess just first off, what are they? Uh, yeah, what are angels? Great question. But before I answer that, um, let me give you some context. So when we started this podcast, we we uh, told our our audience that we would be completely honest about a topic. We we wouldn't try to make ourselves out to be something that we weren't in relationship to the topic. And so, just from the outset, out. I'd have no problem going on record saying the topic of angels and demons isn't necessarily like my forte. It isn't necessarily something that I traffic in to great detail that I have, you know, an in-depth understanding mm -hmm. of the topic. Um, and so there's a couple of things that I feel very confident about and feel like I could defend easily from the scriptures but if you want to drill down past that kind of foundational or fundamental knowledge of the topic then i i'm certainly no expert on it so just just to say that up front um you know i i've had a rich history kind of biblically um when i was in the third grade we started going to a church it was a great church. It's certainly very theologically sound. The scriptures were held in high regard. Great pastor, teacher. And then in the sixth grade, I moved to Pennsylvania. Again, we became a part of a great church that had a high view of the scriptures and a you know a sense of responsibility about teaching God's word. In fact, that church, uh, a lot of the congregation. Uh, were, was inhabited by uh, professors at a local Bible college. Mm. 
Mm. And their families, and then a lot of other families were students, uh, you know, men and women who were students at the college. And that, that was kind of my community that I grew up in. And so, again, a great church that was full of wonderful teachers and this real commitment to kind of theological accuracy. Um, then I ended up going to that college and got a bachelor's degree in biblical studies Um had wonderful teachers, wonderful courses. Um, we went to chapel every day, and chapel had great preachers and teachers. So again, just this idea of my life's really always been immersed in a study of the Bible, which I'm really grateful for. Then I go off to graduate school, and I get a master's in theology. I had I had a class in every one of the books of the Bible, had a class in all of the major topics of the scriptures uh, theologically, I had, you know, took Hebrew and Greek, and we had chapel every day at in graduate school. And so, again, you take that kind of upbringing and then 35 years of being a pastor and primarily, you know, a, a teaching some 40, 45 Sundays a year. So what that means, and all the reason I'm telling you all that is I, I have kind of a working knowledge of a lot of things related to the scriptures and to theology. In the same way that an attorney has a you know, working knowledge of the law. Yeah. Or a doctor has a working knowledge of the practice of medicine. But I'm not a none of us are experts in everything. Yeah. And so there's certain topics of theology or the scriptures that, that I'm pretty conversant in, just maybe even off the top of my head, because I've been trafficking in it for so long. But, uh, you know, if I had to pick two, so the topic of angels and demons and the topic of prophecy are not things that I have spent a lot of time really examining and pulling apart or talking a lot about. Sure. And so I have kind of this cursory knowledge of the, of the topics. So um, I, I just wanted to kind of begin there as a level set of expectations. I, I don't want to sit here and portray. Um, I'm an expert on the topic of angels and demons. Sure. Um, but answer to your question then. Uh, angels... Um, are messengers. I mean, that's what the word means, messengers. And so that, they are messengers of the work that God is doing in the world. And so going back to my cursory understanding, there's two things that I feel really confident about in the discussion of angels and demons. The first one is this. As I read through the Bible, both Old and New Testament, and I work from a, a thesis that the Bible is divine revelation from God. Two things I think the Bible reveals about this topic. The first is that there's two dimensions to life. There's a physical, temporal, earthly dimension. That's the one where you and I are sitting here recording a podcast. It's yeah. life on this earth in this era of time. And we can touch, taste, and see it. And the Bible, I think, very clearly illustrates and explains that there's a 
there's another dimension to life, a second dimension, spiritual or celestial dimension. Uh, the challenge is you can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't taste it. Uh, you can't put it under a microscope and examine it. So for a lot of people, they have a hard time believing that that would be real because they can't see it like we can see the physical yeah. dimension. So yes, my understanding of the spiritual dimension is one of faith. I believe it because God speaks to it as a reality. So in my mind, that spiritual dimension is every bit uh, a reality as the physical dimension. It's just that I, I can't put it up against the same test that I can my physical world. So first, first thing I'm absolutely confident is there's two dimensions to life earthly dimension and celestial dimension. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I am confident in is that that spiritual dimension has some sort of um, dynamic of inhabited beings who work and function and act on that in that realm and drill down into that. There seems to be a tension in that realm between what we might call forces of good and evil, forces of truth and lie, forces of right and wrong. And those forces, as we might call it, are represented by the activities of what we call angels and demons. Mm -hmm. And those angels and those demons are essentially emissaries or ambassadors the army of God and the army of Satan. And so that's, that's, that's where I begin the discussion is celestial realm, angels and demons, emissaries and ambassadors of God and of Satan. So in specific answer to your question, angels are those emissaries or ambassadors working on behalf of what God is doing in that realm when it comes to good, right, justice, love, all that God's trying to accomplish in his redemptive work that happens on the celestial realm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. That was a very long answer to your question. Well, it was just uh, properly placing both of our ignorance before we go in making <laughs> before we yeah. go in making too hard. Here, let me give you the context of my ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> now listen. Don't don't take everything I take uh, say too too heavily. Um, so okay, so w I think a lot of people probably have a just uh, like some maybe basic questions about them. So yeah, uh, were they created or have they always existed? No, my understanding is that angels were created by God, and demons are just fallen angels. Yeah, so they all existed at one time as the same, and then. Again, this is where it gets sketchy, and it, it wouldn't matter how much I've studied it. The scripture doesn't give us a lot of information pertaining to it. There seems to be some sort of fallout between the angels that were created, and some of them chose evil, and they are referred to as demons. So that would mean that these... Okay, so that's also another question that maybe has come up. I know it has for me, is that angels appear to have free will, similar to how we have it. Yes, they 
They are beings like we are beings, except they are spiritual beings. So, again, giving you chapter and verse for all this, would I could, it just I don't have it off the top of my head. They, sure. they have emotions, they make choices, they have a will to determine um, what they do. Moral, moral actors, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so as we're reading through the scriptures, and I'm sure you are well familiar with these names, I guess you hear different names of different types of spiritual beings. Right. Um, it's not just angel. Also, along with that, um, maybe you know something of this, but sometimes you see, we'll actually do this one first, sometimes you see angel of the Lord or like the Lord's angel, is that referring to like an angel or, or is that sometimes referring to, I guess it depends on the case, but yeah. Depends on the context. As like, we yeah, exactly. Earlier. Um, but like every single time, sometimes it can also refer to God. I'm under that understanding. Is that true? Uh, I would probably more specifically say um, uh, referring to Jesus, even the pre-incarnate Jesus. Because remember, the word means messenger. Yeah. So sometimes what's translated angel is really intended to be messenger. So when we see the messenger of the Lord in the in certain contexts, we're really referring to um, an act or um, a, a work of God bringing message or standing, if you will, as the representative of God. And... Again, depending on where you are, that angel of the Lord is either Christ or the pre-incarnate Christ at work or, yeah, at work in in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it's actually referring to an angel that belongs to the Lord. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, for instance, an example, the two strangers that go to meet Lot, right, were those... Angels, or do you think that that was more? I think those are angels. Okay. Maybe. They're serving as ambassadors of the Lord, and they're going to um, deliver a message or to um, do a work. Okay. Got it. Okay. And so, okay, so on to the, the other question I was going to ask is, is an angel the same thing as, I think, I think we probably use angel broadly, would an angel be the same thing as, say, another spiritual being that you kind of come up against some t- uh, in, in the scriptures? Like in Genesis, it said the uh, cherubim. Right. How do you pronounce it? Cherubim? Cherubim. It's good. Um, that was, they were set to guard the entrance of Eden. Right. God put them there to guard the entrance of Eden. And so are those the, the same, um, or is that a different type of spiritual being altogether? What do you think? No, I think those are angels, maybe just for language sake, probably different classifications in the sense. And again, I think I, I think I can do this. If not, it's Sybil Greek conversations. And um, so in the sense that in like the military, you have colonels and you have lieutenant colonels and you have generals and you, you know, you have, you, you have these different uh, ranks um, I think the different names that we see, seraphim, cherubim, uh, they, these are just maybe different roles or different ranks of angels and what their assigned duties might be. 
And again, that's kind of my take on that. A lot of them look pretty different too. So you have like the cherubim, they were there, and then another one that comes up is um, seraphim. Uh huh. Um, those are described in uh, Isaiah in, in the throne room of God. They were there constantly worshiping him. They all kind of look different. A lot of them have wings. Um, but I know the seraphim have like eyes all the way around them, um, I think. Anyways, maybe, so like different ranks is a good way to look. What about different like, so you have like dog, but then you have different types of dog. Okay. So it's like a, it's like a type of animal or type of being, but then there's different. Uh, I, again, I'm not saying no. I'm saying my, my best understanding of that is. Um, more rank. More role. more role. The role that they play in their assigned duties on behalf of the king or okay. God. And, I mean, while you mentioned it, I'm not necessarily sure that angels have wings. I'm not necessarily sure they have eyes all around their head. Oh, they're just described that way for... I think those may be... Symbolic, figurative expressions to say they are not limited by in their mobility, or they're able to um, comprehend and uh, sort of see and take in in a capacity that we're that we don't have. Yeah. In the same way, is do we really wear right? Do we really wear really really? Wear white robes. Say that fast. Do really wear. Do we really wear white? Really wear white robes in heaven, or is that is that a um, a metaphor or some sort of figurative expression to say that we live in heaven in our righteousness? Again, is that some of the limits of God trying to describe something so beyond comprehension that he he was reduced to using terms that we could could understand. Now, again, I'm not saying they don't have wings. I'm just saying it's possible that they don't. They were created spirit beings, and they just have a capacity that's different than us as human beings in our limitations. Yeah, well, and it, that would make sense. And I, I think regardless if it's literally true or more symbolically true, um, I definitely think that, that you can look at that and get a, a symbolic meaning from it, regardless if yeah. it's also literal. Another illustration of this is, uh, what is it, Revelation 20. You know, the scene in heaven where uh, God opens the books to see whose name is in the book of life. And we ask ourselves, is there really a book? Does God need a book? If there is a book, he wouldn't need to open it. He wouldn't need to open it because he he knows all. So is the book just simply a figurative expression to say that God knows who has a relationship with him through faith in Christ and who doesn't because he has an infinite expanse of knowledge. So again, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from that. Again, that may be poetic ways of being able to portray something that we wouldn't otherwise be able to comprehend in our limits as human beings, trying to define, trying to, you know, understand the divine and the celestial. So in the same way that I'm just saying, ah, I don't, God doesn't need a book, I'm also open to the idea, angels don't really need wings. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's a way of 
communicating a capacity that they have that's very different than mine. I would say that I would be willing to take the bet that they are beautiful-looking creatures, though. Well, of course, they're celestial. Yeah. And they were created by God. Yeah. And they haven't been... Angels haven't been affected by the fall in the way that we have. Correct. Yeah. Okay, so we've kind of gotten into this already, but um, they act as just an... So as far as, like, what they do, maybe we can give some examples of, like... um, you said that they, they bring messages or they act on, on behalf of whatever God is trying to accomplish. Is that right. right? Yeah. And so we see examples of that, like with the two that went to Lot to um, get him and his family out of the city. Um, other examples. What are some more examples? Uh, we see angels announcing the birth of Christ, celebrating the birth of Jesus, both the one that comes to announce, one visits Mary, to let her know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one visits Joseph to counsel him in his decision regarding a divorce of Mary. Um, and then one greets the shepherds outside of Bethlehem. And then a, an angelic host joins him uh, as a celestial celebration of the arrival of Christ. Uh, we know that an angel accompanied or, or served Jesus following his temptation. Um, angels uh, appeared to Abraham in the Old Testament. Um, An angel stopped him from sacrificing Isaac, correct? Yes. So... Again, sort of an understanding of angels and or demons is sort of like doing a puzzle. You got all these pieces and they're scattered throughout the Bible. And what you have to do is sort of put the pieces together to create the picture. And so you have pictures of angels arriving on in in important moments in significant scenes of Scripture. And they're announcing a message or they're protecting um and so you start putting together well this is what angels do yeah they serve as voices of god they serve as uh the ones who execute something that god has established or god has enacted and so i can't be specific about all that they do i just have illustrations of things that they have done that are recorded in the scriptures. I found a Hebrews 1.14 kind of summed it up well. It just said that, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Yeah, so... It's so just to work on behalf. So it's one verse, but it's, you know, it implies a lot. It yeah. implies that they serve as, you know, these ministers. And then that's also probably the key verse maybe the only verse that really suggests there might be like something we refer to as the guardian, a guardian angel that, that somebody's assigned, assigned to us as sort of um, a celestial ambassador on our behalf. So I actually found some other ones that I think probably 
Um, at least it's where Wayne Grudem says the strongest argument. Wayne Grudem. Yeah, the, the strongest argument for uh, them are, but he, he addresses it, and, and we'll get into that okay. shortly. Um, okay, so do they, uh, would you say, this is kind of, this kind of goes back to this whole um, problem that a lot of Christians today uh, experience, which is like with praying, for instance, or with God talking to us. We see all these examples of like God being very evident, making himself so um, evident to people and, and different people throughout the Bible, um, talking to them literally or showing up somehow or doing something miraculous. And we don't see a whole lot of that today. And so in that same way, would you say that angel, like do they interact with people in the same way now? What is, what is the relationship between us and them now, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of put angels in the uh, angelic activity. I, pu- I kind of put angelic activity in the same category as I put miracles. You know, w- people have the impression that miracles happened all through the Bible, and they really don't. Miracles happen at key periods of history in the Bible, and particularly periods of history where God is doing something new. Yeah. He's either doing something new or he's revealing something new. So actually what you see is uh, miraculous activities. There's there's miraculous activity around Moses. There's miraculous activities around like Elijah and Elisha. There's miraculous activity around certainly the life of Jesus. And there's miraculous activity that we see in the book of Acts. Well, there's a lot of other books and a lot of other history that passes in Scripture that doesn't have to do with those four or five. And then you don't really see miraculous activity in Revelation as much as you see angelic activity. But you don't see a lot of miraculous activity happening elsewhere in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So then... I like I said, I put them in the same category is that we see like these heightened moments of angelic activity around significant events, the birth of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the um, the uh, presentation of the gospel in the new era of the church. You see these sorts of things. And so, um, in response to your question, I, I, I'm not necessarily expectant that I'm going to see them in the same way today as people encounter them in the scriptures. Because in some sense, God's not doing anything new. He established the church, the gospel, as being uh, kind of the, the central components of this era in which we live and he's not he's not changing that at this point well and and now we have something that most of the people in the all of the people in the old testament never had which is the holy spirit that we didn't have the holy spirit and they didn't have a completed scripture they yeah. didn't have a completed revelation recorded revelation of god so holy spirit and completed revelation from god in the scriptures equips us in a different way that people in the past didn't have. And so miracles and angels were probably 
more prevalent in their activity, you know, direct activity, as a way to sustain the work that God was doing in those periods of time. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so going to guardian angels. This is something that I think is probably a lot more common in the Catholic world. Um, and also those people who, which totally understandable, um, but it is a comforting feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of the times we also think that our loved ones become our guardian angels, not we, but some people believe that. Right. So what is your take on, oh, on guardian angels? Um, and I can give those other verses too, if that helps you uh, in, in answering this question. But, yeah, what's your take on it, and and do you think that they exist? I'm not saying they don't. I'm not, again, that would be a part where I'm not sure. And I don't know that I have enough evidence from Scripture to be, you know, dogmatic about that. The other thing, and this isn't intended to be snarky, but... I don't know that I want a guardian angel when I have the indwelling Holy Spirit and the promise of God that he's with me and never leave me or forsake me. Yeah. So what if God wants to assign a, a guardian angel to me, that's his prerogative, but I operate in my daily life from the knowledge that God is with me and God is in me. And so nothing's going to happen to me that he hasn't ordained there isn't anything he can't do on my behalf. So I kind of like the knowing that God's the one watching over me rather than he's divvied me out to some angel. It's not like he's so busy that he can't keep up with everybody because he's unlimited in his capacity. So, again, I'm not saying there aren't guardian angels. I don't see a need for one. Yeah in light of a theological belief that God God himself is with me and in me in the person of the Holy Spirit. Well, and it also begins to get complicated when those horrible things do happen, because then you're like, where were you at, bro? <laughs> My like, angel, he's actually assigned to 20 other people. Yeah, well, he, he was... <laughs> he was busy with Wyatt, because Wyatt was doing something screwy, and so... Then Jose got in a car accident. <laughs> yeah, so. and meanwhile, I'm over here without my guardian angel for 10 minutes and I end up falling off yeah. the cliff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. So, okay. So I found, so he mentioned two, he mentioned two verses that, that actually weren't um, the one you referred to earlier. The first one, this is Wayne Grudem talks about these two. He said, uh, he referenced Matthew eighteen ten, which in talking about Jesus talking about little children. So in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who, who is in heaven. So referring to the little children, their angels. Yeah. Um, and then number two is in Acts twelve fifteen. whenever the disciples are talking about, uh, they say that Peter's angel must have been knocking at the door. Um, mm. And the point that Grudem made was just, well, <clears throat> it, it, it's not specific in these verses or anywhere else that, um, there are uh, specific, it doesn't say in these verses or anywhere else that there are specific angels for these people, but rather there could be angels that are assigned to protecting little children, generally, mm-hmm. and there could be, and that angel that the, the disciples were referring to about Peter could have just been the one dealing with Peter at that time. Yes. Rather than that's Peter's angel or that's, you know, little Joey, little Bobby, 
Yes, Joanne. And I'm probably more comfortable with that as a, again, more comfortable. I'm probably more confident in my understanding that that would be in general rather than, again, a specific angel assigned yeah. to me. Also just makes more logical sense, I think. Yeah. Like logically. Um, not the people who believe otherwise are dumb, but <laughs> um, just have the stacking up. Okay, so with that then, do we or do our loved loved ones ever become angels? Do they become guardian angels? Um, this is kind of in the same ballpark, but like can someone who dies, can a person who dies then interact with us here? That's, that's funny that you asked that because... I have this group of guys that we all went to college together and we have a text text chain, whatever you call that. We text each other three or four times throughout the day as a group. Usually it's humorous stuff or family stuff. Uh, but a lot of times it, it touches on faith. And we were just discussing this. as when Because when, I had shared with, in relationship to something that somebody had said is, so when somebody dies, can they now see me in ways that they couldn't see me in the earthly realm? And um, you mean like when? Like what do you mean? Like, can they see my most private moments when? Oh, before? just like yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, because now they're in heaven. <laughs> yeah, downward look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we got talking about, it, and it turned into a funny conversation about you know what they must see, and. Um, but again, I don't, I don't have any evidence in Scripture that that's true. I guess somebody could use the whole story of like Lazarus in the in the Gospels, where he's in heaven. I mean, where he's in Hades, and he's like pleading that somebody go and tell his relatives. Again, it's a punt, and that's a, a stretch. But again, I don't I don't find enough evidence, Old or New Testament, to suggest that our relatives or friends who pass are suddenly now surrounding us and accompanying us in life. Yeah. Again, can't say no, but not enough evidence where I could be. I'd say not enough evidence for me to be dogmatic about it, for or against and not enough evidence for me to make that promise to somebody and get their expectations built around it. Yeah. Yeah, I I would say I'm probably against it cuz it just gets into the realm of being ghosts and I don't I don't yeah. I'm not a big ghost guy. Right. Not that I dislike ghosts, but that I don't believe that they they exist. You've uh, never met one you didn't like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> never met one in general. <laughs> Um, though I've said this before in the podcast, my mom thinks that she saw a coffee table lift up and then get put down again. Oh yeah. Which if I were dead, I'd do what was such in her things. coffee. It was a coffee table. What was like in the entire her coffee table that she was drinking? I don't know. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It so, was during her teen years. So who knows? So that's, that's kind of the way I operate theologically is if, if I don't have like a lot of information by which to make a conclusion, then I just refuse to be dogmatic about it. Yeah. And I refuse to get people's hopes up, telling them things that either I'd like them to hear or that they would like to hear. 
Like I, I've, how many times have I sat with parents who've lost a child and they want to know, did my, did my child go to heaven? And I think I have kind of a working knowledge of, of how I answer that question, but I always tell them, you know, it's not my heaven. I, I don't, and I've never been there. So I don't know. Um, I, here's things that I, I find reassuring from the scriptures about that dilemma but again, I'm not, I'm not in a position to be dogmatic about it. So the same with guardian angels and what relationship our friends or family that past have to us. I just don't know. Yeah. The best, the best thing that I have is God, God himself putting something, because a lot of this comes from um, things that just kind of seem like they're connected, but they're like three steps out connected. Yeah. So like, well, you know, my aunt really liked this, whatever, and it showed up here. And it's like, so it's like, yeah. oh, it's all these small little connections. And it's like, oh, it's probably sending me a message. And I don't know. I think that that gets, it can get dangerous if gone into too far. Yeah, um, I've read stories. I've actually known people that go, I see a cardinal and I'm sure they they'll say that's that's my grandfather. He not the cardinal is my grandfather, but the cardinal is a message from my grandfather. Or I find a penny on the ground and every time I find a penny that reminds me of my mother and again, I'm not I'm not one to take away take that away from somebody, but it's not how I go about operating a friend of mine who should have never done this because it's a cult but they went to um a psychic oh yeah and uh yeah because somebody in their family passed away and the psychic said that um if you ever find a white feather in your room that's your that's a sign from your relative well they have pillows that have feathers in them. <laughs> right. And it's like, but they were like gung-ho. They were like, that's my relative. And I'm yep. like, but you have pillows with feathers in them in your bedroom. Right. So, uh, so yeah, that's where I think it can get dangerous because then people can start to take advantage of you um, in that way. They can take advantage of you. The other problem with it is it seems like a substitute for the biblical ways that God has promised to reassure us or encourage us or to um, comfort us. And so I I don't like the substitutes. That's why I was saying I have on good theological authority that God is with me and the Holy Spirit indwells me. So why do I need an angel? Yeah. It just seems yeah. like a substitute. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you're going outside of the spiritual tracks. And um, yeah, I, I think it can start to get dangerous there because you're not looking at, like, why are you substituting it out? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I know a lot of the times it's pain or, or, or sure. sorrow or something that makes you go there. But okay, so we don't turn into angels. And I think you and I probably land on more often than not, they can't interact with us. Are, are uh, people who've passed away. Correct. Or more, more than likely. <laughs>
We hope you enjoyed this presentation of Cibolo Creek Community Church. If you did, please consider supporting the ministry of our church. Your donations make a difference. To check out more resources or to share a gift, please visit us at CibeloCreek.com. Thanks for listening.